Ah, yes, friends, on a Friday, OGP, the one giant podcast. We are your hosts, Adam Armbrecht, covering the Nets over on the Locked On Nets podcast. Andy Makowitz, lifelong, generational, season ticket holder for the New York football giants. And quite frankly, a man far warmer than me down in Florida as we wait for the impending doom that will be snowpocalypse on the eastern seaboard up north. You finally, it finally paid off, Andy. Being down in Florida and wanting to really just... Turn the screws on your fa- friends and family back home. This is this is your weekend, buddy. I really feel bad, Adam. And, and the reason why I feel bad about this whole thing is because, you know, when I made this choice, I was like, oh, I don't know if it's going to be the right choice or not. And then, like, the first week, it was, like, blistering cold at home. And I'm like, oh, this turned out pretty good. Now it's just pouring salt in the wound, right? Like, yeah. you know, th- there could be up to a couple feet of snow for some people. Um, but but the pivot is you got to love meteorolo- meteorologists, right? Like, I saw an article that says, New York City could get hit with up to two to 20 inches of snow this weekend. And you're like, oh, okay, so you're just literally just throwing a dart uh, you know, at the dartboard and hoping that it, that it hits. What a great job that is that you could be wrong like 80% of the time. Well, I'll tell you one thing they're not using. Data innovation. That's probably not a big part of what the meteorologists are up to. Because, by the way, that's like saying, again, when you walk outside and they tell you, oh, there's a 50% chance of rain today. That's a 50% chance of sunshine. Go with on the brighter side. Never never trend negative when, when you're in these situations. We obviously come back in here. We're going to dive in on a number of different topics. Uh, not only the coaching carousel, another candidate in the door today. One candidate pulling out of the search altogether across the league. Get into our game picks later in the show as well. As we know, NFC, AFC championship battles are on the line, as is the host battle. I, I think I got something on my sleeve here this weekend. But before mm-hmm. we do... Before we dive in on all that, there was also, as we know, QBs are important, big members of the NFL family. A little bit of a QB debate regarding wins, the value of quarterbacks associated with uh, lost records, and uh, I don't know, maybe even some people exposing some truths about themselves they would have rather kept hidden. Yes, yeah, so this this is an interesting one and was something that we felt like we wanted to, to talk about at the top of the show. You know, this all comes up because Jimmy Garoppolo, yet again, wins the game in the playoffs uh, against the Packers. Looks terrible doing it. Doesn't throw for over 130 yards. Throws a pick early. Uh, but his team finds a way to win. And people are just saying, Jimmy G is just a pure winner. And, you know, Mina Kimes and others go go on to, uh, you know, ESPN and, and some of the other media outlets. And they start talking about, like, well, you know, QB wins is kind of an archaic stat because if you look at the advanced stats of QBR and passer rating and things like that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is one of the worst quarterbacks in, in, in the yeah. league in the playoffs at, at many of those metrics. Then, you know, guys like Jeff Garcia and, and some other football coaches are basically like, Mina Kimes has never put on pads in her entire life. She has no idea what she's talking about. And I just think it's kind of funny. There's like, you know, the, the new age idea of like, let's take a deeper dive into things. And there's the old school, like only one thing matters. Where, where do you sit on all this, Adam? Oh, yeah, this is why it's a bunch of nonsense. Like, by the way, like I've had conversations around like you try to evaluate Aaron Rodgers, who's only won one Super Bowl in his career. Right. And this is actually a really good comparison. Or, you know, be another really good one would be Peyton Manning. Right. Because for years when he was with the Colts, they never had any defense. So every year that he had success and was you know setting records and wanted to becoming one of the all time great quarterbacks in the NFL, when it flamed out in the playoffs, sometimes due to him and, you know, turnovers, et cetera. But you could always look and say. Look how good Peyton Manning is and look how bad the defense is. And that's sometimes what ends up costing you, especially in playoff football. Then 
look at Jimmy Garoppolo and see how terrible he is and look how good the San Francisco 49ers defense has been with consistency or look how good their running game has been, right? Like look at what they've constructed there to have success. And that's where you can just bring in the little crane, pick up Jimmy Garoppolo by his head and drop him out. You could insert so many other people into that role. Now we said before, I think on this show, like going back over the last couple of years, boy, like Jimmy comes up in some big spots, right? Or he just helps guide a team to victories. And we've also seen him lob long passes for interceptions to the Dallas Cowboys in this playoff run and almost cost them what should have been a blowout victory. We saw him for better or worse, you know, not in the nuances of it all overthrow a Super Bowl winning touchdown by about two yards, right? Like these are the little things that you do look at when you're talking about where does this quarterback fall in there? Because if you're only going to go by wins or losses, then okay. That means Jimmy Garoppolo, man, he's as good as Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, right? Because the winning percentage is just so high. I, if you're only going to take a surface look at something, then that's what you end up with is like a surface takeaway. Jimmy Garoppolo wins games. How could he be a bad quarterback? Well, everything else that I watch, that's how. Yeah, so so there, there's a – I could go a million ways on this, but I'm going to keep it very – as succinct as I can be while still wanting to express how I feel. Sure. I'll ask you a question. Let's just let's just a very simple question. Do you believe that there is any GM in the league that right now would take Jimmy Garoppolo over Josh Allen? No, it, there's not a single one. You're saying, well, but what? If, oh, sure, but surely John John Lynch in San Francisco would take Jimmy Garoppolo over him, right? He would cut off Garoppolo's leg to get Josh Allen in there. Yeah, I, well, exactly. And you know how we know this? Because they traded the 12th pick, a third round pick, and two first round picks to move up and draft Jimmy Garoppolo's, you know, heir apparent, who's going to be starting for the team next year. They've already shown they have no faith in Jimmy Garoppolo. And also, he's probably the absolute last guy you would say, who do you want to try to go on a deep, and maybe that's even being a little bit harsh, right? Who do you want to go on a deep playoff run with? There's probably extremes of guys that are like really turnover machines. And maybe you want to Trent Dilfer your way there with Jimmy Garoppolo, but that's kind of where you want to be, right? Trent Dilfer. This isn't a guy you associate with like high level MVP Hall of Fame QB play. Could you win with him? Sure. But more than likely you're winning in spite of him or it's other things that are being done in order to achieve that ultimate goal. Right, really like there. like oh, having oh. having an all time defense or having like a, a brilliant offensive mind or sure. two on the coaching staff that schemes everyone into the right positions. Like maybe those things will help uh, a quarterback that we all think is kind of a, a middle of the road quarterback, and that's fine for him. He's making his money. He's starting in the NFL. He's doing okay. Incidentally, Jeff Garcia seems like a bit of a misogynist, sort of a douche. Uh, moving on to the Giants side of things, uh, we know the coaching cycle. I was in yesterday updating it, uh, you know, where things stand here. But Dan Quinn, he pulled out of the coaching cycle altogether. He's going to head back to Dallas. Maybe a, a wink, wink, nod, nod that something's going to happen there in the future, whether it's, you know, you got the OC, the DC. We don't know if the head coach is going to last or not. It seems like uh, the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones are – doing their best to maintain their options going forward because things didn't end great for them. And I guess maybe Dan Quinn just looks at it and says, worst case scenario, I could be a part of, we know Dallas is good, a very talented team for a second year in a row. That's probably only going to elevate my profile and maybe there'll be even more openings that I'd be more interested in going into next off season. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what someone says. If it's like, I, you know, if, if I saw Holly Barry, if you're being rejected, I was like, yeah, I was like, Holly, Holly, listen, don't say another word. I'm going to recuse myself from going on a date with you. No, like, no, thank you. 
Like it's, 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 it's not you, it's me. Right. And, and it, listen, it's fine. I think my key takeaway from the Dan Quinn piece of it is I'm a little bummed out that he didn't get a head coaching job somewhere else because this helps Dallas, right? Like there, there's actually going to be continuity for at least one year. If you said at the beginning of this offseason that Kellen Moore was going to still stay and Dan Quinn was still going to stay, I'd say you're crazy. They both are going to have opportunities. Now, now they get to have this whole coaching staff together for another year and maybe figure it out for good or for bad with Mike McCarthy at the helm. But at least they have one more year of consistency, which kind of stinks. I want as much turmoil and, and craziness in Dallas as we possibly can get. Yeah, we're trying to force chaos whenever we can. So we'll see how that plays out. But listen, they still have uh, Zeke Elliott, big money on the books. That seems to be hurting them enough. Well, you know, take the, take the little victories when it comes to division rivals. Other guy who's in today for the New York football giants is defensive coordinator from the Buffalo Bills, Leslie Frazier, a one-time head coach from the Minnesota Vikings. Just what's your, what's your instant reaction on him? We talked about him a little bit going back a couple of weeks because the name has been out there. Um, it, you know, it's a retread, obviously. Like I put him, I, maybe I put him into the bag of Dan Quinn, right? A guy that was a head coach, maybe didn't have that tenure and that successfully and found his way back to a staff. He's well regarded, but does he, does he get you excited around the idea of bringing him in and in the vein of a veteran coaching mind that has that experience in his back pocket? I, I think that he's actually a pretty interesting um, candidate for the Giants. I think. He's got just as much credentials as Brian Flores, if not significantly more, for the work that he's done all over the league. I think if you look at, at where he's been, you know, he was hired by Tony Dungy in Indianapolis. He's been the defensive coordinator in a, in a few different stops. He was he has head coaching experience too. He was the head coach um, of the Minnesota Vikings. He inherited a terrible team. That's why these head coaching positions come come open. They went three and thirteen. They were terrible his first year. His second year, they went 10 and six and made the playoffs. Like he turned that team around very quickly. You know, the third year, he goes 5, 10, and one, and they fire him. So, like, I think Leslie Fisher has kind of gotten a raw deal in terms of, of just one head coaching stint. And since then, he's been on a few different teams, most recently with the Buffalo Bills leading the number one defense again in the entire league. So, I think if we're talking defensive coaches, he's got the credentials more, more than Brian Flores, in my opinion. However, you know, people feel like Leslie Frazier's kind of a retread where Brian, Brian Flores is like the hot commodity on the market right now. Sure. Um, you know, re, uh, recency bias would say w- what was going on in those last 13 seconds against the Kansas City Chiefs, right? And that's uh, underneath his helm on the defensive side. Not going to pin one or two plays on him and make that the referendum. Obviously, incredibly talented defense there in Buffalo. And I think you're right. Um, you know, the 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 onus that gets put on a team to look at the latest hottest name as opposed to taking the big picture, right. And saying, well, where are these guys been? Dan Quinn is the good example of that, you know, but I'll stay consistent. I think younger, you know, trending younger and trending modern quote unquote is the way to go. But what I will throw out here is because you mentioned uh, Tony Dungy and the Indianapolis Colts. What I will say is if you're going to go with older head coach, a coach that's been around, had some experience, one that bubbled up kind of out of nowhere. And I think like if you're, if you're doing that interview, if you're looking at those type of coaches, Jim Caldwell, should have been a name that the Giants had on this list here. Because you go back and take a look at what he did in uh, Detroit over three years, but before being let go there, I mean, that's a miracle by Detroit Lions standards. And yet he's never had an opportunity to get another head coaching job. We saw he was in the conversations for Chicago, got over, over overlooked there uh, in the favor of a younger mind. But do you think that 
Jim Caldwell or, I mean, you know, veteran coaches in general. Is there a reason, is there a reasonable expectation why Caldwell hasn't been talked about more, whether for the Giants or other positions? I mean, specifically with the Giants. Like, why wouldn't the Giants look at a very steady hand that's been very good with QBs in the past and that seems to have the ability to steady a ship, even if in the short term? Is that probably the biggest, the biggest drawback from hiring or looking at a guy like uh, Jim Caldwell is that it may only be a stopgap hire as opposed to, who's going to be our Mike Tomlin for the next 10 to 15 years? Yeah, well, I think it's more that people think they they know what the ceiling is, and these are known commodities where some of these younger whiz kids who have never done it before or have moved up the ranks so quickly because of their intelligence, they're like, oh, we want to get the guy that's shooting up the rocket ship, not the guy that's on the cruise ship that's slowly going across the ocean, right? And there's something to be said about, about Jim Caldwell. I mean, what, what I've thought, about the this coaching situation in Chicago and Jacksonville specifically, and I've seen a lot of people say this online, is like, you have Justin Fields. You say that Matt Nagy mismanaged him, even though he is an offensive coach. Um, you need Your success over the next five to seven years hinges on Justin Fields being successful. And you picked an up-and-coming defensive head coach who's going to have to pick, you know, his offensive mind to help groom him. In Jacksonville, they're talking about Trevor Lawrence. They're talking about, Vic Fangio, one of the great defensive minds, being the head coach there, taking over for Urban Meyer, who was all over the place for Trevor Lawrence. No consistency. He's going to have to find an offensive mind. And, and, and it's it's interesting how this is all going, Adam, because like Jim Caldwell would have been a better hire for both of those organizations. He would have stability. He's coached great quarterbacks. He's been a quarterback's coach, offensive coordinator. He's an offensive mind, and he can actually hire younger people to bring in new creative packages while still having that oversight of like, I've got this. I have manned the ship before, and we've been successful in places that no one else is successful like Detroit. Yep. Uh, Again, so, uh, you know, this brings me to what is the current stance of where we are with the coaching search for the Giants and a couple of layers here. Right. So keep it. Keep that back in your mind. A talented, experienced head coach. We're now seemingly it looks like maybe Frazier is going to impress today down to this Dable and Flores debate. And what really ends up being like this philosophical clash you just mentioned about teams that have young quarterbacks and the Giants are a little bit in a different boat because Daniel Jones could be you know, one season away from being out the door here, maybe less than that. But you have one offensive-minded coach in Brian Dable. You have the other, Brian Flores, a defensive-minded coach. How much do you worry about who you put in place there? Because uh, shout out over on YouTube, Brian Heffy, who mentioned, wouldn't you want to have an offensive head coach at the top? And then that way, as you turn over OCs, you always have the same you know, philosophy in place, same system in place, and consistency for your quarterback position as opposed to the other way around where potentially you're turning things over on that side of the ball. I think it's a great point, um, and it makes sense because you're basically saying the head coach creates an offensive system, and then he works with people underneath him that can replicate it, continue to do it, produce that same type of system. You have consistency at the top. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of, of people on sport, sport radio and, and other places basically saying this makes sense because if you hire a defensive coach and then you have an offensive coordinator who has really good success with your quarterback, that offensive coordinator is going to get a head coaching job somewhere. And then you have to find another offensive coordinator to be able to put in either the same offensive system that made that offense successful or bring in a new offensive system that will still find another way, more than one way to skin a, skin a cat, so to speak. And, and I do think that makes sense. 
for all intents and purposes, Andy Reid has has been the offensive mind that's been stable. You could almost put any offensive coordinator under Andy Reid, and it feels like the ship would continue to keep on moving. Yeah, that's fair. So this, so this again would tie back to the idea of if you want to be able to pass the proverbial torch, maybe someone like Jim Caldwell with a bright offensive mind underneath him with that kind of handshake agreement, right? You're going to be the Kellen Moore of this situation. In two, three years, you're going to take over and you're going to start to run this thing. The other piece that the only pushback I would give to that in these conversations is, hey, listen, what are we running? Spread, West Coast, RPO, you know, like the, the systems exist. Then it's the wrinkles underneath there. That, that the different minds are going to make. And some of them are going to be more innovative than others. Some of them are going to be like a pet rock. They don't move at all. They don't do anything fantastic. We call them Jason Garrett's. But the bottom line is, is like, I, I do think this emphasis on the idea of if you have a defensive mind at the top, then you're always going to have turnover. Potentially, yes. But I think, again, within the system, it's going to be, hey, and these are little tweaks that I would make. Here's how I would improve some things. Maybe I, I put a little more emphasis on our slot receivers versus our tight end group, right? I want to run b- bigger package personnel on running plays versus spreading things out and creating space. So there's things like that where, where I go, eh, you know, and I'm sure if you went through the history of the NFL and maybe just even more recently over the last 10 years, you can look and see different opportunities where Mike Tomlin, you know, what has his background been? What has his stalwart been of his entire career? Defense, hard nose. That's how we're going to play. And yet you get a lot of success from that team on the whole. So listen, you develop that, those opportunities, you hopefully find success and it's reasonable to bring it up though, by the way. And the other one piece that I did touch on, I just wanted to get your quick take was going to be on um, just on Flores quickly before we get into our game picks for the weekend. I was having this conversation. We were talking before we got on a friend of the show, pizza, Mike, we were talking about this idea of the one thing that I assume has been clarified, and I think I brought this up last episode, for Brian Flores in these interviews is, hey, what the F was going on down in, in Miami? Because you do have this, this circumstance where it's like, okay, you wanted Ryan Fitzpatrick, a veteran quarterback, because you thought you could win some games. Was Tua forced on you, and you didn't want to start him, but the GM said it's a rookie quarterback, and we want to get him in there. Now you get him in there. Why are you firing your coordinators? Is it because the GM wanted to put guys in place and there's a there's a power struggle there? Did you see the writing on the wall and wanted Patrick Graham to have an opportunity to get a job somewhere else so you were kind of jettisoning some of your staff? There's there's something there that obviously across the first and into the second interview has been clarified. But does that give you any pause? And this really leads into the final point on this coaching. Like, who is your pick here? Who do you think is going to pick and who do you prefer? But is that something that you think has to have already been well-discussed, cleared through, and is a non-issue at this point because it would be shocking if there were still real concerns around that and Brian Flores is interviewing for the second time. He's down to the last three candidates the Giants are looking at. Yeah, so you hit all the questions that have to be asked. It'd be malpractice if the Giants didn't ask Brian Flores. Like, you seem to be building a program there. Why did you get fired, right? Like, that's a, that's a you know, there's a lot of smoke. Obviously, he he clashed with the GM. He he had a little bit of a power play saying, you know, there's reports that he wanted Justin Herbert over Tua, and and they forced Tua on him. He never liked Tua. He wanted to keep putting in veteran quarterbacks over Tua. He told Tua to his face that he wished they would have drafted Mac Jones. Like, I don't know what happened, what what Tua did to Brian Flores' dog, but like something clearly happened there, right? Like, there's got to be more to this than like. He just doesn't like him as a quarterback, right? Well, not the best tact, I would say, but also like, uh, yeah, obviously you should have drafted Herbert, right? 
And yeah, I would have taken Mac Jones over you. Now I'm not saying I'd say to the guy's face, but there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing uh, wrong being said to that. I guess the, the question would be, does Flores get in the building? And over the first year, he goes, I tell you what, Daniel, you're not going to last. You know, I mean, is that, is that, is that what you're going to hear coming out as he gets into the room? Yeah. Well, uh, what I, what I think is interesting too, about all this is, so Brian Flores has all these questions to be asked, you know, four offensive coordinators, basically in three years for the Miami Dolphins. That doesn't give me confidence that like he's got like people in mind or a system in mind that he wants the offense. It seems like he's just like someone take this off of my plate and do it well so that I don't have to see Tua Tonga Vailoa throw a football anymore. Like sure. he clearly has some issues there. What I will say, and, and to me, that's the biggest problem is like, I want consistency and it doesn't seem like Flores has had that in Miami. I'd want to know why wasn't there consistency? W- were these people pushed on you by ownership and then you finally were able to spread your wings? Or are right. you just trying to throw paint at the wall and hope that it sticks? I think one thing that that's interesting to note is that when Brian Flores became the Dolphins head coach, he wanted Jim Caldwell as his offensive coordinator down there. And Jim Caldwell had to resign because of health issues. So like, you know, we're all talking about Jim Caldwell getting, getting another bite at the apple. I mean, would you be happy in this hypothetical debate? Like, would you rather have Brian Flores as the head coach with Jim Caldwell underneath him? Or would you rather have Brian Dable with someone like Wink Martindale who just became available from the Baltimore Ravens? Yeah, it's weird, man. I mean, listen, like we talked about it, you know, when you think of the continuity piece and you say the connection between Shane and Dable, it seems so logical, right? And then you could even go the next layer and say with him and Leslie Frazier, it seems so logical. I think, again, once you took the Watson piece off of it that we heard rumored that that's what, you know, Flores was looking to do. Once that gets taken away, if you clear the air on what was going on in Miami, like I think Flores is a great coach. I always said this, like, right? Like Miami is not a team that is stacked with talent. And, you know, the, the success that they've been having is such a, you know, a autopilot maneuver from the head coach. I think that he got a lot out of that team. I think he did a great job, arguably with one of the considered to be, you know, lower echelon QBs from, from the total 32 in the league with Tua, right? So, like, I, I, lo- I love I love what he did there. And if you tell me that the short-term, long-term, let's flip it from, like, what I said before, right? If the short-term, long-term is, listen, we want to develop a system, we want to have it in place, and we're going to have some younger guys lower on the staff that we can bring up, and we're going to put Brian Flores at the top, we're going to have Jim Caldwell running the offense. We're going to have David Culley working with our QB. And then over the next two or three years, we're going to groom a young mind to come in and take over that. I, do, I would sign up for that today. And I would even arguably sign up for that before signing up for the Wink Martindale piece. Because again, Flores is a defensive-minded coach. You still could be retaining Patrick Graham potentially and having familiarity there. So, um, you know, the pendulum certainly swings back and forth a little bit here. But... I, I was high on Flores, shy of some of these outside things. And if you can clear those away, apples to apples, I would want Flores over Dable. So there's who would have thought, Adam, six months ago that there would be this like tug of war Bermuda Triangle between the Buffalo Bills, New York Giants and Miami Dolphins. Right. Like, menage so yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a menage a trois, a little, little mistress wife situation going on. It's It's bizarre because. There's so many connections between all three of these teams right now. Joe Shane coming from Buffalo to be the GM in the New York. Brian Dable interviewing for both the New York head coaching job and the Miami head coaching job. Brian Dable also coaching Tua Tungavailoa in college as the offensive coordinator of Alabama, right? Brian Flores being unexpectedly fired 
and now interviewing with the Giants, and the Giants are having to check with the Dolphins to be like, what happened? And they're like, no, no, he's great. Take him so we can have Brian Dable. Like, there's this crazy circle of, like, events that's happening. Who would have thought that we would be in and, the middle of, like, this infighting, right? And the, the name Brian cannot escape this circumstance because Bill O'Brien lurking in the wings, waiting for a chance to get back to Miami and coach or connections with Flora. Who knows, right? That guy just seems like he's a monster waiting to come out of his cave. You know, last thing at the end of the day, Adam, we talked about who you want. What is your gut feeling on who the Giants will select? Do you think it's going to be Brian Flores or Brian Dayball? Oh, I think it's Brian Flores. I, I, I think that as soon as you start to hear the speculation around Miami, I think that it's just it's just a situation for Dable that makes more sense. It's a team that's had a more recent winning record. It's a team that has almost $70 million in cap room this offseason. Like, that is a good situation to step into as a head coach and say, I can go ahead and immediately make changes I want and have success immediately. Where if you're Brian Flores, you're coming off of being fired from a job and you're looking to reestablish yourself, rebuild with a new organization. So I think just uh, from a timing standpoint, it lines up perfectly for each of these coaches to kind of cross paths as they make their way to their final destinations. Um, I'm going with Brian Dayball. So you and I are on different sides on what we think the Giants will do. Joe Shane was there when Brian Dayball got hired in Miami. Joe Shane sure. was there before Brian Dayball got hired in Buffalo. Joe Shane was here before Brian Dayball becomes a head coach of the New York football Giants. I just think there's too much consistency there between in continuity between the two of them working together that um, you know, I, I think by tomorrow morning, we may have our answer of Brian Dable being the head coach of the Giants. We'll all be singing, oh, Canada. He's a Canadian. I don't know if anybody knew that. A little yes. fun fact there on the way out the door. Listen, we'll be back in talking all things New York football Giants. Get after us over on YouTube. Saw a lot of great comments on the last video. Happy to get into those discussions, the debates, the curiosity around Flores and his background down in Miami. Obviously, subscribe and download and listen to the podcast wherever you get those needs fulfilled. We'll be back again on Monday, bright and early, wet and wild, talking New York football Giants. And as Andy Mackowitz wants, needs, and nay, demands the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.